Welcome to Grafana's Big Tent, the podcast all about the people, community, tools, and tech around observability. I'm joined today by it's only Matt Toback. Hello, Matt. Hi, Matt. What do you mean only? Yeah, no, it's just understated, isn't it? It's just I can't believe it's you, really, in oh, a lot of ways. You could say it's how you say it. It's not what you say. It's, I can't believe it's you. You're here. Oh right, okay. I can't believe it's I can't believe it's you. Or you're like you're here. <laughs> you're here. Yeah. Well, don't worry. It's not just me and you. That would be obviously tiresome for both of us. We have a uh, special guest joining us today. That would be tiresome for both of us. <laughs> Thank you. It's how you say it. You're right. <laughs> Today we're joined by uh, Nyana Shetty from Lego. Hello, Nyana. Hi, Matt. And Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just one would suffice. We'll share it. Happy to share. Um, and you are a principal engineer who loves talking about SRE in microservices, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think over the years, I've been in teams where we've built microservices. And it's when you scale up and have hundreds of microservices, how do you then make them reliable and keep them reliable? That's what I'm mm. interested in. And yeah, uh, it's been, uh, so I was working at the Financial Times where we had all of these hundreds of microservices and how do we manage it there? And now I've moved to the Lego group where we're going through a massive digital transformation. And here it's like, we want to build these hundreds of microservices. So should we care about reliability now or can we think about it in like 10 years time when we have these microservices ah. so yeah that is my context to how site reliability microservices all of this fit together yeah because it did used to be a kind of afterthought really didn't it which is why i think sre i think it's short for sorry right <laughs> mm, that's one way of looking at it or like um <laughs> i always think of it like sorry i don't understand why people don't think about site reliability in the first instance or sorry yeah. i don't understand why people would build this in such a way that it is like half broken or like you don't think about the future of this product uh, and you are very close to reinventing the wheel every few months if you went in that direction. So yeah, sorry is probably one of the ways of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> Just even on a personal note, I'm excited that Nayana is here and joining us because we met in 2018 for the first time in an attic in Amsterdam. Which, when said that way, doesn't feel weird at all, right? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, we were talking loads of monitoring, uh, Grafana and Graphite and all of those things. So yeah, Attic didn't make a difference then. So yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but it was, it was wild because we did, we planned GrafanaCon EU in 2018, which is our, was technically our third GrafanaCon, but was kind of our biggest up to that point and the most what felt what felt well produced and it was in the middle of an arctic chill do you remember that that the canals had frozen over yes yeah i had struggles getting back home and like it took me two hours where it should have probably taken me only like half an hour to get home so yeah i oh, completely man. remember that <laughs> and we were in this stage where uh tom had just joined the company we announced it on stage the acquisition of causal the entire company fit on stage it was 25 people like when we said kind of goodbye at the end there's still this photo that circulates here where everyone is just kind of shoulder to shoulder and the stage take you know is the whole company and I, but i do remember you you stand out to me us being up there kind of in that breakout room talking about what you were trying to do at the financial times and and it does it feels like you kind of continued in this natural progression in this natural journey and like when you think back to you then, how did you see the world? Um, at that point, we we were investigating, like we had quite a lot of monitoring tools uh, at the Financial Times. And I was like, 
Uh, and I was working in the team that uh, provided monitoring as a service to other teams. And my head was going mad thinking, okay, how do I as a team with like four or five engineers be able to support like these 20, 30 odd engineering teams who all want monitoring uh, and they're using from Nagios to uh, Zabbix, some Graphite, some started, I, I think there were very few uh, inst installations of Prometheus at that point. And I was like, how do we get all of these different use cases together? And how, how do we get them on a platform which could work together? And it made me, like, I was worried at that point and like, Three years later, or four years later, looking at it, it's like you're still worried. No, <laughs> I mean, I have moved on from the Financial Times, so I'm less worried about the Financial Times uh, monitoring systems, but I still worry about like the same use case. I I see it here as well in the Lego Group, where there's different monitoring tools that we've got across the organization, and it's how do we get them all together, and like how do we say a single story that everyone could understand rather than every single team trying to solve the same problem. So it's still very similar, but probably we have better tools and like processes in place that can help us. So that's how I see it. Yeah, something you said earlier stood out. This this idea that you, you're like, why did you build it like this? If only you'd built it differently, we'd be in a much better position now. So it kind of like... If, if you only did it right, is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> yeah, but that's the question. Like, when should we start caring about this stuff? When should we start worrying about how are we going to operate this? Uh, I think this kind of relates to like how I've moved in the journey in my career and stuff. So uh, I started off as a test engineer, just doing some manual testing, then moved on to doing more QA, like more quality related things rather than just testing. Uh, and hmm. over the years, uh, I've seen the transition in a lot of organization as well, where they've moved uh, moved to this shift left and uh, test early like uh, release as small as possible and continuous iterations and stuff so all of this i think kind of leads to that point of like how do you make your future better like and one of the quotes i have often used is being kind to your future self like how can you make your life easy in the future so that th think about that today when you're building whatever you're building and that comes with if you're building a new product think about do you even have to build it or like can you just look at what's in the market and reuse it if it's a non-differentiating thing then why build it mm. if it is a differentiating thing yes put your heart and soul into it but then when you're doing it make sure you think about the sustainability aspects of your product and not just today what the customer would get yeah and it's like I've often used this carrot and stick kind of approach in teams to say, show the benefits of what you could get out of thinking about monitoring observability from the uh, front. And usually the carrots are like, you build it in the right way, then you don't have, you can actually forget about your systems because they will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and the stick approach is often, if you didn't do it, then you have to go into the rotors or like uh, all of those other things that comes with like making your systems more observable and keeping it sustained once it's up and running and stuff. So yeah, I think that's what I've used in the past to actually help teams nudge in that direction and stuff. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would be kind to my future self, but I'm too busy dealing with all the stuff that my past self left me to do. So <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think, so that's the thing. If you think about how it's going to be, where it's going to be running, like the realities of that, 
if you think about that, like the earlier, the better almost, isn't it? So, yeah. It is that. And it's also that, yes, you are fixing things from yesterday, but if you don't fix it and leave some goodies along with it, mm -hmm. then you're fixing, tomorrow you're fixing today's problem. So you're still in that vicious cycle. So to get away from that vicious cycle, I think you need to actually like step back sometimes and put that extra effort. I, I remember one of the tech principles we had uh, in the Financial Times uh, for FT.com was, uh, I've forgotten this. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's okay. As we're talking about, you know, like the past self and future self, is it okay that I've completely forgotten about observability and, and now I'm just on a personal journey <laughs> and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about all the decisions made and yet to make and, <laughs> and how to provide goodies for, for everyone? Naina, or for me, I don't know. I forget that part. But Naina, the carrot and stick, can I ask you, right, is there been a stick that you've seen people try to use that was, that just didn't work? Right or or not didn't work, but either was too uh, harsh or like just kind of like ill and you know not ill intentioned but ill executed. I think it's about the motivations and the, the motivation factor behind doing something, and that's how I saw the carrot and stick. So the carrots were the motivation factors that we were providing to teams, saying if you did about uh, did something right, and if you thought about like how do you monitor something, how do you add alerts in place, and how do you make sure it's auto recoverable where possible and stuff, then you don't have to worry about it, right? So uh, that is more of the motivation for the team to be like, I don't. Like I can be really proud about what I build and I don't have to think about it again. But at the same time, we know that every team has these deadlines to meet and uh, like there are product owners who would have their own feature sets to build. So it's that kind of scenarios where you actually still need the stick to help the teams be like, look, I mean, yes, we understand your pressures, but this is more important as well. And I did remember the quote and it was uh, slow down to speed up, which actually like that was one of the tech principles we worked with. Basically, yes, you can go at 100 miles per hour today, but then if you don't build it in such a way that you have put those measures in place, then tomorrow you have to break and stop. But if you slowed down and went at say, 60 miles per hour, you're there for the long run and you would go on longer. So that's that's how I would yeah see some of the stuff. Yeah, that is so true. We actually built a little project before Grafana. We built a project management tool called Pace for, and it was trying to get across that exact thing, which is that you feel great going at a thousand miles an hour, but you do have, you know, there's important things to do along the way. And it's hard to retrofit a lot of this stuff. So it's, you know, thinking about it up front sometimes can save you. It's a bit like how you design for failure as well. Like, you know, in the perfect world, your system, all the messages flow perfectly and, um, and there's no problems. But in reality, it's way more messy. Things fail. And so that idempotency and things come into play where you, you may design expecting this is going to fail. Um, Go, I do. I write Go code, and Go has error handling as a kind of explicit feature. They're values that are just returned as the second argument to functions and things like this, um, and that frustrates a lot of people because you know they're used to exceptions or something that's just sort of automatic. But it forces you to think about what's going to happen if this thing fails, and that's a great discipline to get into. 
And I think it's a myth to think that your system won't fail. Yeah. Like always build your system in such a way that it will fail. If it doesn't, then you have a problem. (laughs) So make sure you add those checks in place. So when it Mm. fails, it can smoothly recover and all of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know some companies that have that as part of the proper sort of testing approach is they'll literally things will break on purpose and you know, it's a first class concern that they have. And it is that thing of, yeah, don't, ex- you know, of course, like, I don't know, is it just ego that people think I'm, I'm so good, I'll write this, it's going to be great? What's going on? It can't be. Honestly, it can't be, right? Like we all, <laughs> we've all known and experienced it enough. Yeah. Do you think? I don't know. But the thing is, when I'm writing code and it doesn't work, I've, it's, it's shocking how quickly I'm like, there's something wrong with the processor. <laughs> My, the, pro, the processor is not working or physics has changed. That's why I, I'll go to physics has changed before it's my fault. But it turns out I just did a capital letter where I shouldn't have. I, I think uh, like I've been in teams where they do pairing and like those mobbing sessions and stuff. And mm. um, like they have kind of helped in like sense checking people's, egos a bit mm-hmm. and be like i'm not the best um yeah. and when two people talk about it i think it does help think okay there is a reality that we live in and this is what you need to consider <laughs> mm-hmm. is there anything that you would like even in that like you were saying before that progression between like being in you know manual testing and then qa and then moving to sre was there any was there like a moment where it clicked, where people started, I mean, they just started incorporating testing into into the code, right? Do you see the same progression happening in observability to where there'll be some moment and some kind of click where it just becomes part of it as opposed to the separate thing that happens afterwards? I have seen it work in some teams and like a lot of teams I've worked in are all autonomous teams. So they can basically build however they want using whatever technologies they want. What is often helped teams like that is having some sort of guardrails, which actually says, and like also being aware that not all applications need the same level of checks and monitoring and all of these. So being aware that, okay, there is a level of criticality of my app. And if it is a highly critical app, then let me put all of the things in. And if it is a less critical app, in that case, you would just have like maybe just a simple health check. That would be good enough. You don't need to go all, all board. And one thing that we had uh, when I was working for FT was you always have at least a basic check on all your apps. Otherwise, like we used to get this service uh, operability score for our applications and the score used to go down as in when we didn't have some of these things in place. Uh, and that was like a nice measure where people thought about it from the beginning rather than as an afterthought about some of these. But what could happen in this kind of scenarios is people go all in and they just say, oh, I'm going to monitor everything, have all my logs go in. Like, you don't need to go all board on this. There's a limit to how much you need to monitor as well. And understanding the criticality of your app and then building your observability around that is probably something that teams should think about. How would you, if a team was listening to this, right, and they were trying to understand the criticality of the app and make decisions around it, like, how would you, if you had them sitting in the room, how would you explain it and say, here, start here, do this? I think it depends on the business criticality. And if it is a highly business critical application, which means if it went down for, say, more than 15 minutes, then we wouldn't be in business. Uh, If it's that kind of app, then you need to have 
your alerting in place, monitoring, uh, like the, the right level of logging in place, uh, which actually gives us any of the audit records that actually show us what's happened with the applications uh, and then any sort of health check. So there's probably like two levels of monitoring that we should think about. One is the application level monitoring, and then there is the system level monitoring. So being able to figure out where the problem is soon enough is something very critical when it's a 15 minutes uh, recovery thing. But if it is an application that's less critical, then maybe just having the application level monitoring is good enough where you could take longer to actually investigate, look into the locks and actually figure out where the problem area is and stuff. So uh, I would suggest teams to think about like how critical their app is. And that is something the business should like help them with, not something that the team just decides, oh, this is the most critical thing. Uh, and once the once you know the business criticality of something, then it is coming up with some sort of checks saying, if it is a highly critical system, then we do both application as well as system uh, monitoring. Otherwise, just one of them based on your use cases and stuff. And like um, in the past, I've spoken about like the use method and red method that we could use for these kind of things. Uh, like I prefer use and red method over the Google's four signals. It depends on what your team's needs are and what fits into your use cases. Um, so you would use a red method, if, which is rate, error, and duration for every single application that you build. And it's very easy to see that in a microservice world where you have different kinds of applications, you have the same three parameters that you're measuring across all of them. So it actually helps the team analyze, irrespective of if that belongs to your team or any other team, you just know where the problem is. Uh, and the same with systems side of things, you would go with like the use method, which is utilization, saturation, and errors. And you would do this for the CPU, disk, or network, and all of those different areas. And you basically know where the problem is, and it's easy to find out. I would say it is hard, It is it takes time. So invest based on how much returns you would get on these uh, when you put these checks and so th th that is something the team should be mindful about when they are investing in monitoring or like alerting and stuff. Is the primary counterbalance in your mind the effort that it takes to keep this monitored well or is it also cost? Do you think about the cost of, of to operate or the back end? Uh, it is the cost and, and at the end of the day, it should be the cost to the business as in how much does having the system down cost us and you basically work backwards from there saying this if this was down for 15 minutes it would cost the business so much mm. which means we as a team should be investing more time in actually getting the right amount of measures so we can solve the problem or find narrow down the problem quickly uh, and like i would always focus on the business value rather than the team's individual product value and stuff but yeah uh, it depends on like if you were an internal system like, it, like in one of the teams i was in we were building monitoring tools for other teams so we don't have real business value as such as our team but we were supporting teams that had like really high value systems so that kind of meant that we had to think about the application level as well as system level monitoring on our systems and stuff 
Yeah, I like that. I love that advice of pay attention to the value you're going to get from the effort that you put in. When I, I like mono repos, mm-hmm. I'll just like put that out there. I love mono repos. And the reason I like them is because you can have a pull request that has a unit test, some backend code, maybe some API changes, front end code in there too, hopefully with some front end tests, maybe. And it's nice that that all gets applied to the system in one go. Does that also apply to like, this sort of field, the instrumentation of that, should we be having those kinds of conversations at that point so that we kind of think about it as we go? I would love to say yes, but I've not seen a team do it really well. So um, I can see the challenges of like when you have this mono repo and everyone's contributing to the same central uh, repository, there is a challenge that the parameters that you would think about for your product and your monitoring systems might be different to what another team would be looking at. So Mm. there is a challenge with how do you then look at this as a product that we we sell to customers. Like Mm. you have to think about capability monitoring maybe rather than your individual product monitoring um, where you're thinking about what is the capability that I'm providing to the customer. And those should probably be things that we have at a central level and we do it as in when we we add new features, we make sure we don't break the monitoring that we've got across the capability. But on a single individual product team's perspective, yeah, I don't know what how much value it would add. So it depends on that, I guess. So yeah, mm. unsure. Have you seen it work uh, in in your teams or something? Well, we have at least the conversation when there's a PR for like a big feature, we will chat about it and say like what you know what do we need like what do we need from this like what's going on here that later we're mm-hmm. we're gonna need and it's that thing about be kind to your future selves so yeah we but but i don't know that we've got that right yet or anything you know because in a way we don't really know what's important up front necessarily so it's it, you know but but sometimes you do and i like i like that there are guidelines that we can follow to give us a good foundation and then of course we're gonna have to fine-tune it depending on our particular case yeah, i agree yeah all this just, to me starts to distill down into right like it's it's some amount of like, if you are doing the centralized monitoring, right, or there's a level of that, right, and then you have to you have to communicate this down to these teams, and you have to get them to buy in, right? How do you, you know what do you do that, or or even how would you suggest someone else do that well? Central teams pushing things is like irrespective of it being monitoring or anything in general is really hard and it should all always be driven by like what I've seen work uh, really well is the ones that are driven by like value add to the individual teams itself. Uh, so as an example, when we were building this Amazon Linux, like a base plate image that everyone could apply and they can run their own EC2 instances. Uh, when they had this, uh, what we said we will do as part of it is we said you're going to get monitoring to like, I think we were pushing logs to Splunk in that case. So you would get that feature for free. You would get authentication for free. You would get uh, like have those kind of things that you will get for free as part of whatever feature set you would give. Yeah. And that has often been a nice way to drive teams to be like, oh, yes, I like that and I will do it. Right. Make it 
it's so easy that they can't, like they would rather adopt it rather than try and do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. So uh, like another example that came to mind was uh, we had this central repository for like a CRM system, which uh, we had to enter all of our uh, system information. In and, and basically it was like a, because we had so many microservices, we had like a central system where we could go and query for any particular system with something called as a system code. And we would know if that system was live, was active, who was working on it, all of those information. And what we did when we built this, we, we said, if you put the right information in this, then you would automatically have a dashboard that would show up mm-hmm. only your team's monitoring in it. That was like an incentive for teams to be like, oh, if I did this, then I get my own dashboard. Let me do that. Mm. So I think it's that showing intrinsive value beyond just what you want them to achieve out of it. Uh, that's how I've seen it work really well in teams. So yeah, you need to have some sort of carrots yeah. to actually get uh, people to move towards your, uh, your solutions and stuff. Yeah. 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 That's great. I think that applies to everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you make it easy and, and it's sort of a no brainer. And like one example of that is where we can, like if we've got APIs, we can just, instrument on those on the endpoints very easily in in a simple way usually with some middleware or something in the code and and there's lots of packages that do this so i I do quite like yeah i think and i think there's probably space for more things like that um more of that for for devs yeah and i think it's the like i i would really like want to see central teams be more mindful about this because mm. as a central team you're building these amazing tools and at the end of it like you kind of think oh if i put a documentation together and self service everyone's going to come and use it but then each individual product teams have their own little agendas to work towards mm. and their own uh, like the product initiatives to uh, their own okrs all of those things so this is like an extra bit of like cognitive load onto those teams which they can avoid uh, if you were to do a lot more promotion within teams saying, if you did this, you would get a lot of benefits and it will take some of the risks that you have taken on yourself. And also it's that education piece of you care about your product. We will help you care about your product. That's something to think about. I guess. Yeah. Hmm. So what are some common mistakes that we make? when we're trying to do this with the best intentions of in the world, we want to do this properly, but are there, are there any things you see that people misunderstand or common mistakes, common gotchas that you've seen? I think it's knowing how much is enough is like one of the things that I've often seen where there are teams who just put the basic thing available because it's there in a checklist somewhere and then they move on, which is probably not the best for your product. So it's being aware of, the value of your product and like what is the life cycle that your product or the life journey that your product is going on. That is probably one of the things. The other thing that I have seen and I've struggled a lot with is like I mentioned about this use method and red method to actually build your dashboards. It's very hard to get like your network, network related monitoring, right? And your, um, the saturation for networks. Like how do you, how do you do that? Uh, and, get the wrong set of like I've seen myself doing having a wrong set of uh, (laughs) dashboards and um, alerting and wondering why this is going off every time something happens when it shouldn't have and stuff so I think it's just 
like being okay to experiment and like continuously tinker your uh, monitoring and alerting as you go along is probably something that teams should be conscious that like it's not that you build it once and then it's it's there it's there forever but there is a continuous evolution that happens with your monitoring like how your feature sets go through that cycle you have to do the same with your observability side of things as well yeah yeah as uh, mac mac can i answer too um, um let me just check no, no. <laughs> oh come on brutal but <laughs> please i'd love to hear what you okay think, so but Nana, you were talking about the value like derived right and focusing on that for the customers mm-hmm. that i do think that's that's a common gotcha where you build all these tools and you're like we did it we did it like it's all there all you have to do is this right and i think the common gotcha is forgetting that you need to deliver something that someone could just adopt easily like you said like it is a, a version of i was thinking like car parts right and then like or Legos, I guess, but like dropping off like a collection of car parts mm-hmm. and being like, there you go. And you're like, the, you know, like all, I want to go, I want to drive, right? Like I don't, like I get that it can get there, but you haven't helped me really at all. And there's, you know, and you call a lift and that's where the metaphor I think breaks. But, <laughs> um, but it, I do think there's some version of that too, right? Like stopping short of actually delivering the value to the person consuming it, as opposed mm-hmm. to just dropping a collection of pieces that can work, but they have to do the last, the last mile. Yeah, well, that, in, in a way, th- what helps that definitely is going to be this, you build it, you run it, you know, we're not throwing this thing over the wall to someone for someone else to operate, which I know that actually lots of lots of people do still do that. Mm. And, this is, and there's a disconnect when you are yourselves kind of running it, you're the customer of that data. So a bit like when you're dog fooding software, if you write, if you're building dev tools, like we do at Grafana, we dog food a lot. Like we'll use our tools a lot internally. That's how they're so good, frankly, like, because they've been, you know, it's not like we're imagining the user of this. We are the user of it. And I think that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. And also I think like um, one of the comments I've heard a few people say about is build your code in such a way that you can debug it at three in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, doesn't mean that you have to do it every day, but mm. if it breaks, at a time that you're not fully in focus, you still can get to it easily. And that is something which I think, yeah, people should be thinking about while building yeah. their products and stuff. That's that's such a great point, I think. And that leads me on to this my next question, which is around like drills. Do we should we be doing like drills at three AM and living that Ooh. experience to see what it's like? Three o'clock is probably taking the Mickey out of people if you were doing drills. <laughs> <laughs> do people do drills? I guess they do, right? But it's probably not it's it's not common, is it? I have seen it done. Um and I think it's a very artificial environment where the drills happen. So one of the things that we did when I was at FT was we had this incident drills. So basically you emulate an incident and then you go about with the team. How do you go about actually figuring out where the problem is? Hmm. So you start with like which alert it was and then look at the traces and then look at what the logs were and like you go through the whole cycle of it. It was a way to like ease the whole out of our support that we had within the organization. Mm, yeah. But at the same time, there were a lot of people who were not very keen of this. Like, because it's an artificial environment, mm. um, people felt like that is not reality. So why do it? It's because you didn't do it at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that. 
I think there's like a, a touch of maturity in actually embracing drills, like whether or not it's artificial, right? Like it's that idea like, oh, well, this is this is artificial. This is dumb. You know, like we don't want to do this. It's not going to be like this in real life. And then you, I think like you think about any kind of, I don't know, like either, you know, team environment or any kind of like practice that you need to do because it's more than just debugging the code, right? It's like everything is interconnected, right? And you you want to you want to be able to do some of these things more than once so that way every time doesn't feel like you're the first time on stage. And it does, it feels like you just want to be like, hey, like, like what's the what's the right analogy to make if you wanted to convince someone to actually practice? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it def- it, it's not the same. It's not the same because you know it's a drill. Like unless, unless you're doing something where you literally, you break something and, and it's not really broken or, or maybe it is and you're, you know, doing something kind of, that seems a bit extreme, but yeah. you are, it is going to feel different, but that still doesn't mean that there's not plenty of stuff to practice. And, mm. you know, like practicing your, when you practice driving, you know, there's an instructor next to you watching everything. That's a very strange situation to be in, but but you still are like, you still move the steering wheel and do the, I, I don't drive, but there's a gear stick. I know that. And the horn. <laughs> you press the horn to go. Yeah. <laughs> horn go. And then you leave that on. So everyone knows you're there. I do because <laughs> they need to get out of the way. Uh, I think there's also like a value in like this, the other way of looking at drills is like shadowing and uh, when there's an actual incident, not not having just one or two people involved in it. Yes, it might be the most critical thing, but having more people just listen in and see what's happening and like just be there sometimes helps them understand, oh, this is how I would go about solving this, looking at those people. So yeah, I think it's, it's a mixture of drills and a shadowing maybe that could work in teams. Mm. I even think yesterday, and I, I realized why I'm all fired up about this. I parsed through it. Um, Yesterday we did, I visited the sales team and they were doing these workshops and they were doing radical candor, right? Which is like all about like feedback and giving feedback and getting feedback and and being able to, to do it well. And then you break out and you're like, okay, yeah, check, check, check. I get it. I get it. I get it. Like I could totally do that. And then you break out into these triads and then you practice it. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a part of you that goes like, oh, I don't, I don't need to do this. Like I, I get it. I get the concepts. And then you try and do it and you're like, mm-hmm. and you kind of feel yourself like places that, you know, are a little bit creaky or, you know, maybe you don't quite get it as much. So I think, I think it's actually where I'm fired up to where even if it is artificial, mm-hmm. right. Some of those, some of those joints might be, you know, either rusty or creaky or, or don't articulate well until, and you don't realize that until you do it. I think that was a rubbish point. <laughs> we, we can cut that. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> I think it's also like a good exercise to do just to test your like documentation and stuff. And like, if it's, if your documentation is up to scratch and like yeah. when you've written something, you've written with, with good intent, but when someone's actually following it, does it make sense is something that the drills can actually capture and stuff. So, yeah, there's more than one benefit of having drills, I think. Nayana, you mentioned earlier, like, this idea that, you know, if you do too much, you can you can overdo it and end up with basically alert fatigue, just alerts going off. What, what do we mean really by alert fatigue? I'm going to give an example so people can relate to it. Um, I was in one of the teams where we used to get close to 1,500 alerts on a weekly basis. Ooh. And uh, this was for, like, we we had around 80-odd microservices. So it wasn't like just one microservice or anything. Mm-hmm. But then my team was, 
like three people looking at this. And it's at that point which you realize that are they actually looking at this thing or is it all just being ignored as like just noise let's just ignore it mm. uh, and i think it's that point where you you start ignoring your alerts is where you've gone to that stage where you can't take any more alerts so you're you're fatigued with the whole alerting itself and i think it's it's better to have less alerts for the most important things rather than have too many and try to dist- uh, like filter it out one of the exercises we did when we had these alert fatigues and like thousand odd alerts is we consciously stopped some of the alerts to see who will start shouting mm-hmm. and it happened that more than 50% of these alerts when we turned off no one actually shouted at us so it was like was that even important mm. going through that exercise on a regular basis where you you see if you're ignoring more than at least 10% of your alerts then go go and do something about it maybe turn them off and it, no one will care uh, and it's i think teams need to be conscious that it's okay to miss an faulty alert compared to missing out on a real alert which would have cost us like millions of pounds or whatever it is mm-hmm. so i think it's being careful to put the right alerts in and stopping at that and not just going overboard with oh uh, let's take an example that we have grafana in our systems and we have alerting with grafana i have this tool so i can put as many uh, alerts as possible not going wild with it but actually like knowing where to stop that, that that's how i would describe this whole alert fatigue and it's with time it does happen with teams so it's it's worth going back and auditing them and making sure you uh, keep them clean as uh, like as much as possible i wonder if you could do a um like what what would be like the equivalent of a bug bounty for alerts like how do you incent mm. people to go and and clean those up and, oh. and celebrate being like they're gone Oh, that's hard. Uh, what I've done in this is actually gone and turned them off myself and been like, let's see who's going to shout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and like when no one shouts, you know that they're not important enough. So that is something that I've done, but I don't know how you would hmm, interesting. Do you have any ideas? We need some analytics, don't we, on the on the usage of it, really. Mm-hmm. Then we can say, you know, no one's looked at these alerts for mm-hmm. ages. Yeah. You know, or put you could put a specific time on it if you want. I don't know. I don't want to design the application now, but yeah, something like that. I mean, I like the idea that you you should go back and look at them and and dis, and pay attention to whether you still need them and things. This is a little bit like how in GitHub, like or in your project management tool, if you have loads of stuff in there, most of it's just getting ignored. Yeah, and it get and and in a way, it it, it creates this also this idea that you you're so far away from being done, which we of course are, but you don't you know it, it sort of reinforces that so it is that thing of if there's just so much there it stops being useful i like the idea that does it take experience though do you think to know what's useful what's not does that it could do i mean the more you see these things you will realize where it's important where it's useful and where not mm. uh, and this is where i've seen some of the junior engineers and teams struggle which is like they start worrying about every single alert that comes on slack or whichever is your preferred tool and they're like oh what do i do i've got this alert it might be my change but it might not be related to your change at all so mm. i think it's 
it's something that the team should do on a regular basis as like a team activity or something like that where they yeah. uh, sanity check their uh, alerts uh, one way we used to do is uh, any alert that we actually did anything with we started putting some uh, everything all of our alerts used to come to slack so we used to start putting some emojis on it mm. so we know which of them were actually things that mattered and like uh, on a weekly basis we were like oh there were 10 of these which we did nothing with so maybe we can get rid of it so that like it's very hard to get that feedback cycle on alerts i've found matt you need to collect the emojis and then feed it back we Is are the api going the other way on emojis we do that for uh, in the grafana incident tool but i need to i need to tell the on-call team about that idea that's such yeah. a good idea because you that could, is kind of fun you could collect that data and literally yeah you you then yeah. you, oh hello you're like what does dancing penguin mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it means it's cool <laughs> Um, who who owns that idea legally? I don't know because I do. I feel like, because I yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. Solved. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I wanted to quickly touch on as you progress in your career, right? Often you're going to walk into new organizations, right? And you're re- you're new to Lego, and everything today is just reinforced the thought that we had this, or that I was kind of noodling on this morning, which is all these things are true. All these methods are like are kind of proven and in you know in some ways like it has nothing to do with the technology and everything to do with the landscape that you're walking into and then then you have to figure out how how and what you introduce and i guess i'm curious like how much about open source tooling makes it easier to transfer into a new organization and even just how much like how do you approach going into a new org having this experience but then also not understanding how everything fits together mm. I mean, this is so relatable. Uh, I'm going through this now. Yeah. Like, given I've been in the Lego group for only three months, uh, and I care about monitoring and, like, in general, sustainability of products quite a lot. Um, I've been looking at different teams doing this and thinking, okay, this team has this Grafana dashboard to do it. This other team has New Relic, and they're doing something with it. Mm-hmm. I think. For me, I, I was lucky that I was in a team that was building monitoring tools as a service, yeah. like providing monitoring tools as a service to other teams. So for me, it was like easier to catch on to what is happening in different areas within the Lego group. But I think what I fall back to is always think about what are the core aspects of uh, monitoring. So it's things like logging, metrics, uh, alerting, tra- tracing, so notifications, some of those core things. Mm-hmm. And it is looking at those aspects and thinking, how is the team solving these problems? And where the team have done used a tool, uh, I have often just endorsed what they've got and looked into it. But where they haven't, yeah. I have often suggested open source tools in those use cases because Two reasons. One, it's easy to get started and get going with it. You don't need any licensing and all of those kind of challenges that come with mm-hmm. a proprietary tool. Uh, and on the other on the other side, there's a lot of community that can help you getting started with the tool as well. So I think those are reasons why I would prefer, like when suggesting to teams, I would prefer open source technologies when it comes to this space. I mean, as an example, when I was doing some experimentation for my own personal projects, I could have gone with one of the tools that was already available in the organization when I was working. But then I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, if I left this organization, I can't take that tool with me. So yeah, 
I, it's better to have it on more open source tools. Uh, I mean, in that case, I used, I think it was Graphite and Grafana that I used in that use case. But Nick, it is that while there is transferable skills within the organization, like uh, as an example, the Lego technology, I think we have around 200 or 250 odd teams in it. And if these people within the teams have to move between each other, uh, speaking the common language is quite important. Uh, mm. And having that community outside of the Lego group who can help us with this is quite important. And yeah. I feel like that is where the power of using open source technologies comes from. And I mean, I have come from an organization where we were a very big advocate of open source technologies. So uh, I probably would be singing the song of let's go all in on open source. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm interested then, what's next? What What's coming up? And how do you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on? Um, I often think about, like, less about tools and more about the capabilities that we really need within an organization. And... Like it could be anything from like, uh, what do we need in terms of system infrastructure side of things or like the topic for today, uh, more around observability. So around observability, um, like I often think the capabilities that we need are logging metrics and like an organization can invest in having multiple tools for the same thing, or it could be one tool that does all of it. It depends on the kind of organization you are. So I have often lean towards like what's happening in like the DevOps communities or like in the monitoring communities uh, to actually get insights from them saying, oh, there's, I think two years ago was when I was introduced to uh, Loki, which is the logging tool. And I got super excited about this mainly because we we were using another logging tool within the organization, which was super expensive. And like, do we use this super expensive tool, which has some bells and whistles, which we don't use, or can we go with something like Loki? Uh, and it is finding out capabilities that you care about and looking at what is happening in that particular uh, market and stuff. Within the monitoring space, logging, I think my uh, preference within logging would be like if you are in the AWS land, then something like AWS CloudWatch or like Loki, Splunk. These are a couple of to uh, tools that I have used in the logging space. Y you can use the same kind of tools for metrics as well, but there are better tools for metrics like Prometheus is really good or Graphite, which again, like I have um, spent quite a lot of my career in Graphite. So I probably have a preference in this space and mm -hmm. see what innovation is happening in the Graphite space. But yeah, uh, Prometheus is probably another one which is really good in the time series database uh, side of things. And then it's also to do with like your metrics aggregation. So you have all of these different metrics and logs and everything that you're collecting, but how do you visualize them together? So you need something around the visualization layer, which is where like Grafana or like Kibana, one of these kind of tools would come in handy and stuff. Uh, and finally, I think it's the whole, you're doing all of this because you want to alert things. So what do we have in the alerting space? Thinking about like, do I use like Slack notifications? Do I use email notifications, SMSs, pager duty, whatever? Uh, and it's just making sure you understand the capabilities of what you're trying to solve and finding core products in each of those areas. And it could be the same product that solves everything or it could be different products. And yeah, I tend to lean towards communities and uh, conferences to actually figure out what is 
hot in the market in, in places. Yeah. And what I really like about this is like that's all kind of like through the lens of at least the way that you think about it as like what are the problems that you're trying to solve for the for the customer, right? And then what is the value that you're trying to provide? So even at that point, like all of these can become sort of like it's not interchangeable, but you can solve the problem in 400 different ways, mm -hmm. right? And and I just really like that you start with it feels like you start with that approach to say like what do you actually need to do? What do you need to protect? And then figure out how to do it. And I like that. That feels like the most transferable <laughs> skill between company to company. Yeah. And also like within teams, when there are so many different teams and every team's autonomous to use their own tools and stuff, then like, I think you need the core principles to be the same, irrespective of what tools they're using. And th that's where I find having the, the capabilities and the principle layer uh, set right would help teams figure out what is the best tool for their use cases and stuff. Well, that's amazing. Lo loads of great practical advice there. And you yourself have spoken at conferences on this subject as well. I notice that people can, we'll put, put one in the show notes for people interested. But you can also Google uh, or use any search engine. Other search engines are available. Uh, you can <laughs> duck, duck, go and find uh, just for your name and, and you'll, uh, yeah, Nayana Shetty. Well, um, unfortunately, that is the time. That's all the time we have. I'm afraid. Thank you so much. Uh, Matt Toback was here, weren't you, Matt? Uh, I was. Is there anything that you want to say to your future self just before we go? Oh, I love that. Um, mm. I think it is, you don't have to solve all problems today. There are things that you can leave for the future to solve. <laughs> that is what I would say to my like future self. Mm. <laughs> It'd be more useful if we could send messages to our past selves, though, because we could like... To tell them what the stocks are going to do in that. No, because we we know what happens, right? The oh, yeah. space-time continuum. Um, it's just not good. Biff gets it, doesn't he? Biff, he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't do it then. We won't do it then, Matt. You've, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I mean, this is a topic that I enjoy speaking in general. So yeah, I've... Are, are you speaking at any other conferences coming up or will you? Uh, no, because I'm new to the organization, I'm just like stepping away from speaking so that I can gather mm -hmm. some insights from the organization before I start speaking. So yeah, none. But the videos of your past self are still available, of course. So <laughs> I do recommend people check them out. Yeah. Thank you so much to Matt Toback and our special guest, Nayana Shetty. I've been Matt Raya, still am. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time on Grafana's Big Tent. Have you learned that? Have you learned how to play the riff? I, ha I have not yet, oh, but okay. I have time. You should, yeah, learn, no you should learn it. I'm gonna bit. on the airplane to uh, to Whistler. I'm gonna take the bass out. <laughs> <laughs> my my seatmate won't be terribly happy with that. But <laughs> please put your seatbacks and bases away. We are coming <laughs> into land. <laughs> you could you could do upright in a seat, maybe. Oh yeah, you'd have to get a ticket for the for like a double bass. Boom, 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 boom. But you could also do like Seinfeld links with it. Could be like uh, make a little joke, a zinger to the just do a bit of bass. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be boom. nice. <laughs> <laughs>